Hello, sports fans, and welcome to Let Me Speak, the show that shares sports' biggest headlines explained, uninterrupted, and maybe a little audacious. I'm Joe Braverman, and today's topics we'll be discussing are a full preview of the NFL's Super Wildcard Weekend, plus the aftermath from Week 18 and the storylines from eliminated squads to watch, and are the Memphis Grizzlies a team to take seriously in the NBA? It's episode 56 of Let Me Speak, and it starts right now. Everybody here on Thursday, January 13th, 2022, episode number 56 of Let Me Speak. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in wherever you're getting your podcast. Around here in the Swamp Scout area, it is cold. Let me tell you about that. All around Massachusetts and really the eastern part of the whole U.S. has just been dealing with a deep freeze. You've got temps coming in the, the single digits and the negative range. We're expecting an NFL game just like that. It's definitely feeling like the month of January. Hope everyone is being safe out there. But of course, the action doesn't stop. And we get right into it with the NFL. And we're devoting two segments on this episode all about the NFL. We're talking about the teams that are in the playoffs and the teams that are out of the playoffs. But let's start with the wild card. Obviously, bunch of things happening in week 18, setting up these matchups. And we'll just kind of go a game by game preview on these games and the first game that kicks it off is this Saturday with the Raiders and the Bengals now I gotta be honest these are two teams that me personally I had a lot of high hopes for in that maybe they could have a good year and they've just been up and down back and forth back and forth but they got hot at the right time obviously the Bengals knocking off the Chiefs and winning the division and then the Raiders with that insane game Uh, against the Chargers on Sunday night. I mean, oh my gosh, these two teams. It's almost like in this game, you wouldn't be surprised at at either one. Because, I mean, the Bengals, you got to go all the way back to, I think it's the 80s when Boomer Esiason was uh, the quarterback for Cincinnati. And he won that playoff game, got him to the Super Bowl and all that. But I can't remember the last time Cincinnati uh, won a playoff game. And meanwhile, for the Raiders, same thing. I mean, I feel like this is only the second uh, playoff appearance since their uh, Super Bowl appearance back in the early 2000s. But about these two teams, I mean, they're both at 10 and 7, but I see two big factors in this one. For Cincinnati, it's about the offensive line. And it's been like that all season long, is how well can the offensive line protect Joe Burrow? Because Burrow's been sacked a league high 51 times, okay? 51 sacks. And you know on the Raiders' defensive line. Max Crosby, Yannick Ngakwe are going to bring the pressure. You got to think they're going to be blitzing a lot more than usual to really try and test this offensive line. So how well can Joe Burrow be protected? Because we've seen, as I say, week after week, when Burrow's on his two feet, this offense is very, very dangerous. Joe Mixon in the backfield can change the game in a heartbeat. Jamar Chase is getting himself into the range of elite wide receivers, okay? Then you have Boyd 
Higgins, Uzama. This offense is the strength of the Cincinnati team. But I think the biggest X factor, at least on the other side of the football, are the Raiders secondary. I think they're the X factor because you got to expect Casey Hayward's going to spend a lot of time covering Chase on the deep balls, on the shallow crosses, wherever it's going to be. They're going to have Hayward be that one guy who's going to try and track him down and then, of course, bring some safety help. But I think in terms of these two teams, as I said, you know, either result wouldn't really surprise me. I mean, when you're looking at it from a momentum side of things, you think the Raiders have it, but you have to believe maybe all that energy was wasted on that Chargers game. But I don't think so with this Raiders team. I mean, with everything, you know, from Gruden to Ruggs to just everything that's gone on in the Raiders, Raiders organization this year, Derek Carr has been unreal. And I ultimately think that this Raiders team can pull the upset. I think they can go into Cincinnati and I think they can win this game. So I'm going to pick the Raiders to beat the Bengals in this one. Again, wouldn't be shocked about either thing happening, but you just have teams that are really unproven and inexperienced, as I've said for weeks about the Bengals. Cause I mean, this is going to be Derek Carr's first time in the postseason. How well is he going to be performing? Meanwhile, Joe Burrow, second-year guy. Jamar Chase, first-year guy. All these Bengals, most of these Bengals are hitting the playoffs for the first time. So we'll see how both teams respond. But I think for this game, I'm going to pick the Raiders to go on the road and win this game. That's what I think between these two. But then later on, you get the Pats and the Bills, the second Saturday night game. And of course, we're going to get into the Patriots side of things during our Let's Get Local. But I think. For this game, you got to watch the weather in Western New York, okay? Early forecast calls are calling for temps in the single digits, wind chill below zero. There's a possibility for snow. And we've seen later on in the year for Buffalo how they do not perform well in really bad weather. I mean, the windstorm on that Monday night game, you had the uh, snowstorm early on against Atlanta a while back. So, I think that's the equalizer right there is mother nature coming in, but you have to think there's a lot of momentum, you know, on opposite sides of the end, which is a big factor. I mean, you got the Pats who have lost three or four to end the season. The bills have won four straight to get themselves back. But I think in this game, it's going to be the quarterback who plays better will allow their team to win. Okay. Between Josh Allen and between Mac Jones, who's going to be more effective. Okay. That's what I think, because we know Josh Allen. He can run the ball as well as he can throw it. But the question is, can the Bills run the ball without him? If they can run it minus Josh Allen, they're going to have a big advantage because New England is 22nd in the league in run defense. And Devin Singletary has been on fire running the ball for Buffalo. Okay, Last four games, which have all been wins, a combined 76 attempts for 323 yards. Okay. Previous four games was 32 attempts for a buck 49 in the previous four games. Okay. And you could even go more and more to that, but we're not going to do that math here. I do think in this game, you know, I will make a prediction, even though I said, we'll talk about the Patriots later on, but I like the bills in this one. I just think the bills, they, they finally found their identity. And as long as Sean McDermott and that bills team doesn't get in their own head, that's going to be the problem. And that's what kind of struggled 
where they struggled uh, before the end of the regular season is they kind of got into their own heads. And, you know, you have McDermott talking about Belichick saying like, oh, we didn't do anything well. It was nothing they did. You know, it's the mental side of things, at least to me, for Buffalo. And it's just if they don't get in their own heads and they see the formula that works, they have a good defense. Josh Allen throwing the ball and running the ball, but not having all the weight on his shoulders. That's going to be the most effective thing for this Buffalo team. So I will take the Bills on Saturday night to beat the Pats, even though I'd love to see a New England victory. But then we go to the Sunday slate of games, Eagles and Bucks. okay? How about the Eagles this second half of the year? They are rolling, and I mean rolling. Maybe the hottest team heading into the postseason, maybe. But then they go to Tampa, playing the Bucks. They're the number two seed. They're 13 and four. Now, these two teams did play earlier in Philly during week six. Both teams have been very different since then. Don't get me wrong, okay? Eagles were thought to be a really bad team. Bucks were thought to be a great team. Not saying the script is flipped, but the narrative has changed from what you saw in week six to what you're seeing now. And for me, on Tampa side of things, Tom Brady was great. Don't get me wrong. He was great. He is great. He led the league in passing yards and touchdowns. But I think for sustained success in the postseason, he can't be throwing it 40 or 50 times, okay? Even though he's got no pieces, he's still throwing it, okay? You got no Antonio Brown, no Chris Godwin. Leonard Fournette missed the rest of the regular season, okay? Mike Evans was banged up a little bit, okay? We do know that Leonard Fournette is designated to return from the IR, but we still don't know if he's going to play. Is he going to play on Sunday afternoon? We don't know that. But the key is for Tom Brady not to be throwing it so much. I understand he's 44 and he's doing things like no other, you know, that no other 44-year-old should be doing in any kind of uh, sport. But it can't be all on him, okay? He can get, you know, Gronkowski or Howard or Bray or Evans, you know, you you name the weapons that they have, but it could be some short checkdowns. It doesn't have to be thrown at 40 or 50 times for a deep ball. So even if Fournette doesn't play, getting a running game will be absolutely huge for this Tampa team. Meanwhile, for the Eagles, it feels like they don't have a chance, but if they do want to have a legitimate chance, there's two things that have to happen, okay? They first got to establish the run early and often okay and that might be mixing up some play calls you know not miles sanders and jalen hurts all the time maybe some uh jalen rieger get him involved Devontae smith get him involved that's number one okay but the big difference for me which is number two is the philly defense okay that defense is getting better and better and better and the fact is this is tom brady you're talking about and if philly can get to him early because we've seen it pretty much since brady began his elite status you get some pressure on him you force him out of the pocket then you've got a legit shot to knock him off okay I just don't know if the defense can do it and I don't know if Jalen Hurts passing the ball is going to be enough I mean you look at game-changing wide receivers you know I can only say maybe Dallas Goddard and Devontae Smith for that Eagles offense so I, I like the Eagles. You know, I've been a big fan of them in the second half of the year. I think they're one of the more underrated teams in this season, but I just don't think they have enough for Tampa. I think Tampa is going to get two, at least two scores on them 
for the victory. And I think Tampa, you know, they didn't have a home game last year on their way to the Super Bowl. They get at least two this year. So give me Tampa Bay in that matchup. As that kicks off the Sunday slate of wildcard games, the middle game are the Niners and the Cowboys. This one is going to be, I think, maybe the most intriguing game and maybe the most entertaining game because the narrative is simple. You got a tough San Fran offense versus a powerful Dallas defense. But really, you could say both sides of the ball are extremely strong for both sides. On the 49ers, you know, if Debo Samuel can continue to be at the elite level that he was, you know, this is a guy who can run, he can catch. Maybe he can throw the ball if they throw a trick play here and again. But Dallas has got to limit him. That's step one for the Cowboys because we know how good this defense is and can be. But the problem is inconsistency, okay? Inconsistency has been the problem for Dallas. But, you know, Micah Parsons versus Trent Williams is going to be a lot of fun. And for the Cowboys, if Parsons wins that battle, it's going to really put them in a good spot. And then you've also got Trayvon Diggs, the league leader in interceptions in the secondary. He's got to be a disruptor, okay? We've seen pretty much everyone in the secondary from Diggs to Anthony Brown. They've been hot and then they've been cold, you know? That's pretty much been the narrative for Dallas all season long, you know, as I said before, is inconsistency. If they have consistency, if Dak Prescott and that offense are clicking like we saw against Washington or against Philly last Saturday night, if we see that kind of offense rolling, then this can be a dangerous team. But meanwhile, San Fran is just as good at offense as Dallas. Like I said, you got Samuel, you got uh, George Kittle, obviously. The, the question is going to be how well can Jimmy Garoppolo get the weapons involved? How is he going to get him involved? Because if this offense does not perform well, I mean, look at the way they struggled last Sunday uh, in the first half against the Rams, okay? They were down 17 nothing. They were able to come back and uh, win in overtime. But it's going to fall on Jimmy Garoppolo because we know the offense has the talent. We know Mitchell in the backfield. And as I said, Samuel, Kittle, Ayuk, all of these. How well is Jimmy G going to get the weapons involved? Because if San Fran struggles, it's going to be all on Jimmy G. It's all going to be on him. And there's going to be questions if this team struggles saying, hmm, is it time for Trey Lance? Is it time for Trey Lance? That's something you got to watch out for. But I think in this game, it's hard to say, but I think I'm going to go with the Niners. You know, there's usually a couple upsets. And I think just Dallas, it's really hard to trust them for all the inconsistencies they had, you know, how well is that defense going to do for San Francisco? Can they shut him down enough? And maybe can uh, Bosa, Nick Bosa, get to Prescott and uh, force a couple sacks. But I think in this game, I like San Fran. I think I'm going to take the 49ers in this one, but you got two historic franchises playing each other. I think it's going to be the game of the wildcard weekend. That's what I think. One that's definitely not is going to be the Steelers and Chiefs. I mean, the narrative of Big Ben in his pretty much his last game, because he's even joked and said himself that they don't have a chance. Okay. You don't think anyone in that locker room listened to that and thought, hold on, hold on. Why are you saying this publicly as a joke or not? Because he's even said, we're not supposed to be here. We're probably the worst team in the playoffs. And he's right. He's absolutely right. I mean, the Steelers just squeaked in if the Colts, didn't pull a massive choke job against Jacksonville, okay? 
Now, is there a legit chance for the Steelers to win? Yes, but a couple of things have got to happen. You know, similar to uh, last week, last week where they had to have a bunch of things happen. Okay, TJ Watt is gonna have to get to Mahomes multiple times. Okay, I think a realistic chance is probably three sacks at least for TJ Watt because how well is that offensive line uh, for Kansas City? How well have they improved from the Super Bowl to where they are now? That's gonna be the big question. Is how well are they going to protect Mahomes if you got probably the defensive player of the year in TJ Watt coming at you and being relentless? Okay. That's the first thing that's going to happen for Pittsburgh. The second thing in my eyes is Ben Roethlisberger. Of course, we've seen him throw it multiple times. And I mean, more than any 39 or 40 year old probably should with uh, the way he's been throwing the ball. But I think he's going to have to take some deep shots. Okay. I do think he's going to have to maybe set up a deep ball for either Deontay Johnson or Chase Claypool. I think it's going to have to happen. And can Ben do it? I don't know. You know, is he going to put all his, you know, strength into what could be maybe his final hurrah, his very final game as a quarterback? How is he going to, how is he going to throw the ball? You know, he's probably going to have to take that shot and he's probably going to have to use however, however much strength he has left to just, bomb it down the field because I think that's how you beat Kansas city is when you go short and conservative, they're right there on you. But if you're taking shots down the field, that might throw them off guard, at least defensively. But for these two teams though, I think it's whichever team can balance the pass with the run will win the game. And obviously chiefs are going to struggle with that. If Edwards Alaire is still banged up for KC. Okay. They don't quite have a run game without them. We've seen kind of like a running back by committee for the chiefs. But I think regardless, I think it's an easy win for Kansas City. It's probably going to be a blowout. I mean, these two teams, when they played, it was, what, 38-3 to at one point between these two. I I love Ben Roethlisberger. I think he's had a first ballot Hall of Fame career. But I think this is where it ends for him in Kansas City, in the wild card round, getting destroyed by Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, and that Kansas City team. So I will take the Chiefs to knock off Pittsburgh and send Ben Roethlisberger into retirement. But then we get the historic Monday night wild card game, third time between the Cardinals and the Rams this season. The road team has won both matchups. And honestly, as I've said every time I talk about the Arizona Cardinals, this was a team I thought at one point were the NFC's best. And sure enough, they faltered. They started, I, they were the last undefeated team. And now here they are at the number five spot right now. And honestly, I, I kind of see this Arizona offense struggling a little bit because we've seen what DeAndre Hopkins has meant to Kyla Murray. Now, they're saying a realistic timeline for Hopkins is the NFC Championship game, if they can make it that far. I don't know if they can make it that far and if he'll be activated from IR. Because really, with the other weapons that they have, I know they have Zach Ertz at tight end. I know they still have the veteran A.J. Green, a uh, great young player in Rondale Moore. I just don't know if it's going to be enough, but for both these teams, it's the quarterback with the least amount of turnovers and the least amount of interceptions is going to help their team win. Okay. Kyle Murray, Matthew Stafford cannot shoot themselves in the foot with the interceptions. Okay. I do think it's probably going to be a little bit low scoring. I think probably it's going to be first one to 20, I think is going to win, but the difference maker to me is the defense. Okay. I look at a guy like Aaron Donald and we kind of, he's kind of been silent. He hasn't really been making a lot of noise, making a lot of buzz, you know, like he has in years past. And I feel like he's just waiting to explode 
and have a monster game for LA. I do think that's, that's what I'm looking for, for Aaron Donald. And plus I just trust their secondary more than I do the Cardinals secondary. I think Jalen Ramsey is going to be able to uh, shut down uh, everyone on Arizona on the offense. I mean, the run game might have a, a good shot at things. Um, and on Arizona side, if they have Edmonds and Connor both being effective, but with the Cardinals secondary, can you really ha- trust them to stop Cooper Cup, Odell Beckham Jr., Tyler Higby, Van Jefferson? I don't know if you can do that. So I think in the third matchup between these two, the tiebreaker will be won by the Rams. And I expect the Rams on Monday night to win that game against Arizona. But of course, it's super wild card weekend. And just like it says in the name, it's a wild, wild card weekend. Expect it. We just talked about the teams that are in the playoffs. Let's talk about the teams that are out of the playoffs. And week 18 set into motion 18 different teams off seasons. And we'll try and get to as many teams as we can because there is a lot of them. But as I said, the Indianapolis Colts with the biggest choke job of the season after losing to Jacksonville. Okay. Not only did they lose to Jacksonville, but they got destroyed obliterated any name you can think of that's embarrassing is what happened to indianapolis what surprised me was the fact that they hadn't won in jacksonville since 2014 how is that even possible the jacks have had one good year since then i i just cannot believe it i literally said on this show last week I said it before. I said it with Mike during our pick and pick them segment with Mike Ducko. I said I would be shocked and surprised if Indianapolis lost this game. Well, here I am. It's happened, and I still can't believe it. I still can't believe it. This Colts team was in the driver's seat, the driver's seat of possibly one of the best teams in the AFC. They have Jonathan Taylor, the best running back outside of Derrick Henry in this game, and they can't even win against Jacksonville, Jacksonville. That's, I'm just still baffled. And I don't think Indianapolis is going to get over this, but all I know is Carson Wentz is done. He is done being a game changing quarterback. Okay. He's not this savior that everyone thought of when they made the trade or he got drafted by Philly. Number two, he's done. He's done being an effective elite style quarterback. Okay. And I would not be surprised if he is not on that team either next year or the year after that, because I think this guy is going to be out of a job within five years. I think he's going to be relegated to a backups role because he has shown that he is not what he used to be and not, he's not even what he used to be. He's, he wasn't even that good to begin with. Okay. He had one good year and he got hurt that year. So Wentz is done. He is done being a game changer. Okay. That's the thing that just irritated me the most from week 18. Well, maybe the second thing that irritated me the most was what happened in that Sunday game between the Chargers and the Raiders. I mean, do I blame Justin Herbert? No. Do I blame Austin Eckler? No. I blame Brandon Staley 
for that loss, okay? And come next year, he is going to be under a microscope, okay? Because who goes for it on fourth down on their own 18, okay? It's not like this was the fourth quarter and you were down two touchdowns. This was a tight game. This was a tight game, okay? And this is a gambling man who's gone for fourth down the third most times in the league. You know who the top other two are? The Lions and the Bears. And they've been behind way more times than the Chargers have, okay? And also, why do you call a timeout, okay, in overtime? You knew, you had a feeling that the Raiders were going to run this out and go for the tie, okay? Calling that timeout might have been the dumbest move this season. Dumbest move of the year. So Brandon Staley is going to be scrutinized even more heavily than he already is. Because if the Chargers take any kind of step back, if they don't get into the playoffs, you've got to think ownership for LA is going to look at this team, look at a possible future MVP in Justin Herbert, a great running back in Austin Eckler, insane weapons like Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, even on the defensive end with Derwin James and Joey Bosa. And they're going to look at that coach and saying, your style is not working. So he could be out of a job after next season. Because if he's making calls like that, I would fire him right on the spot if he wasn't a rookie coach and they were not 9-7 and at the time. But, of course, let's talk about the coaching positions that are involved now. We've got seven openings if you discount uh, the Raiders. you got the Vikings, the Dolphins, the Broncos, the Jags, the Giants, and the Bears all have head coaching options, which – by the way, just real quick on the note for the Raiders, Rich Bisaccia deserves that spot. He deserves that spot even if the Raiders win or lose, okay? I know he's an interim coach, but he should have the full-time tag. But in terms of all the teams with openings, let's just break them down really quickly, okay? The Vikings, you know, it just felt like their their time had passed with Mike Zimmer, you know? This was the first time in back-to-back seasons they missed the playoffs, and I think they're probably one of the more appealing jobs when you've got, you know, a, some great pieces. Obviously, Kirk Cousins, you know, he had a great year. He had, uh, I think, nearly 30 touchdowns with, I think, only like four or five interceptions. And then you got Dalvin Cook in the backfield. You've got maybe a future, uh, maybe the future of the uh, best wide receiver in football with Justin Jefferson, along with Adam Thielen. They got a ton of weapons on offense and defense wasn't that bad. It was their weakness, but it wasn't that bad. I think it's probably the most appealing job for any head coach to get is in Minnesota. I think the second best would probably be Miami, which by the way, Brian Flores should not have been fired. I don't know if something happened behind the scenes. If he didn't get along, obviously we hearing reports that he and Tua Tagovailoa got into a shouting match, but the way he turned Miami around you know, look at look at the last two years. They started, what was it, like 0-8, and, and then this year they started 1-7. and And in the second half, they just turned things around. They finished just near 500, and then this year over 500, you know, ending it with a win against New England. I think Brian Flores deserves a job, and he's going to get another job somewhere else. I think he's going to be a hot candidate. But Miami just made a huge mistake because this was a guy – in the locker room, you know, whether reports come out that are totally different, this is a guy who inspired the change and turned this Miami season around from being an absolute joke 
to actually being legitimate. I know they missed the playoffs, but you just think every single year they're getting closer and closer and closer. So Brian Flores deserves another job. Okay. But for the Miami side of things, I think it's probably the second most appealing for the Broncos. All you need is a quarterback. Okay. John Elway has gone through uh, head coaches like a damn carousel. Okay. Just find a lockdown quarterback and that could come in the draft. Maybe they uh, trade up to get Kenny Pickett from Pitt or something like that. Okay. Jacksonville, obviously we know the mess that they had. It's more so on their owner. I think, you know, with a uh, Shad Khan, you know, he's, he's showing he's got to get someone who can stay there long-term. That's what it's going to be because we thought it was urban Meyer. He clearly did not work, but you got to get a respectable name. You can't just throw, you know, a line out there and hoping someone will bite. You got to get a respectable name. The New York football giants. I'm surprised that Joe judge even lasted long after week 18. I mean, let's let's face it Dave Gettleman retired and uh Joe Judge was right behind him but let's be honest okay Dave Gettleman was fired he was fired and he wanted to save himself the embarrassment by retiring but then you've got Joe Judge you know it would have been shot I would I was shocked he even lasted to what was it uh Tuesday you know you would have thought you know maybe right after that came against the Bears that he would have been canned like right on the spot but We'll just have to see what the Giants do in the offseason. Do they trust Daniel Jones or maybe draft another quarterback like a Kenny Pickett, like I said? But then you got the Chicago Bears. I mean, this one was expected from the midpoint of the season, okay? Matt Nagy overstayed his welcome. He shouldn't have even been hired to start, okay? And then Ryan Pace probably had it more coming in the general manager spot, more so than Matt Nagy. And of course, all these reports are going around about Jim Harbaugh possibly going to his old team in Chicago. I don't see, I honestly don't see Jim Harbaugh leaving Michigan for the NFL. I don't. I think Michigan had a great year in the college game. They got all the way to the playoff and I know they they struggled, but I think I give it Harbaugh at least one more year just to see if that success for Michigan can continue. I know that Aiden Hutchinson, their top defender is going to leave for the NFL draft, but I think Harbaugh is going to stay there one more year. Look at where the program is. See if he can can beat Ohio State again and then see what goes on there. That's what I think about Jim Harbaugh. I think he stays uh, with the Michigan program. But then you've got quarterback positions, of course. Ton of questions, okay? Browns, Seahawks, Panthers, Broncos. You know, I talked about the Broncos, but Cleveland, we're hearing reports that Baker Mayfield is going to be the quarterback. They expect to, him to be in 2022. They're going to give him a shot when he's healthy. And that's kind of what I've been saying the whole time. I think, you know, this past year, Mayfield was banged up. Okay. Baker was totally banged up. And if you give him a healthy year, maybe he can turn things around. But I think what would help is getting, you know, maybe light a fire under him. Maybe say, you know, it's going to be a quarterback competition between him and uh, Case Keenum, if they want to hold on to it, because Keenum played well, you know, when he had to fill in for Mayfield when he tested positive and uh, when Mayfield missed the regular season finale. Keenum played good. He played good. So I think maybe having a fire saying, you know, we're going to have a competition rather than just hand it to Baker Mayfield might light a fire and get him a little bit more involved. And then maybe Cleveland picks up a wide receiver or two, possibly to bolster that offense, because let's face it, the running game was hurt. 
all year long with Chubb and Hunt. And then obviously the drama with Beckham, you know, we'll just see what happens with Cleveland in this offseason. But I don't think they're totally falling off a cliff. You know, it's going to be a proven year for Baker Mayfield. But then you've got the Seahawks, you know, questions about Russell Wilson. Did he play his last season with Seattle? I don't know. I feel like, you know, he's got a hard cap hit at 37 million. Okay. So I could see a ton of teams that would want to be involved and I could see why Seattle would want to trade him because then you get the flexibility to add some more pieces on the defensive end, because that's where you struggled and sucked the most is getting better defensively. We know how good Russell Wilson is and he just had an off year, but I would imagine that at least three fourths of the league would take that, take Russell Wilson as their quarterback and maybe even Pete Carroll as a head coach, you know, maybe Carroll, wants to retire, or maybe he goes to another team. We'll have to see what happens there. But then the Carolina Panthers, quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. How many did they run through? Like three or four. They started with Darnold. Sam Darnold looked good until they played some good teams. Then Cam Newton, then P.J. Walker. And clearly we're not seeing any progress for Carolina. And we're here even hearing buzz that Christian McCaffrey's on the trade block. I mean, I I'm not surprised because of how much he gets hurt, but in terms of the quarterback style of things, you know, maybe it's time to go to the draft, maybe just have a competition, you know, similar to Cleveland, put Darnold in there, maybe draft another guy, let him battle it out. Let's see what happens there between those two, because until Carolina gets a stable quarterback, this team is going nowhere. Absolutely nowhere. But of course, Everyone made their tea times, and once they're done with those, it'll be time for the offseason of the NFL to get a kickstart. shift now to the NBA and we got a lot of teams hitting the exact halfway mark of their 82 game season but there's one team that's sort of flown under the radar pretty much all season long and that's the Memphis Grizzlies okay fans are oblivious right now to how hot Memphis is right now they've won 10 straight 10 straight games and a couple of them were without their superstar John Morant and they're currently 29 And 14, currently fourth in the Western Conference, just behind Utah, just behind Utah. Now, the question becomes, how legitimate is Memphis right now? How legitimate is this Grizzlies team? Well, I can tell you right now, statistically, they're one of the best. They're first in rebounds, third in offense, sixth in point differential. But of course, you can't talk about the Grizzlies without John Morant, okay? I think Morant is going to be top three in MVP MVP voting. That's what I think. Because as I said, Memphis won 10 straight. Ja missed a game. Over the last nine games, he's averaged 28 points, six rebounds, and six and a half assists. Okay. That is MVP level numbers. Now, is he my MVP right now? No, I would still give that to Steph Curry. I would still give Curry the MVP at this moment. But Ja Morant is coming. He is coming, and he could turn himself into one of the top five players in this league. That's what I think. That's how good this guy is, because not only only can he score the ball, but 
look at some of the defensive plays he's been making. I mean, he elevates for blocks. You know, he's a strong defender. He's he's unreal. He's so much fun to watch. I got to tell you that. I've been able to watch a couple of highlights of him online uh, on YouTube, some Grizzlies highlights. This guy is amazing. He is absolutely amazing. And he's someone that Memphis has got to lock up for long term. You know, similar to a Zach Randolph or that grit and grind team where you got a bunch of core guys and you got to lock them up for as long as you can be. Because I think Memphis has a great core four that Memphis uh, can be bolstered by for years to come, okay? With Morant, you got Dylan Brooks, you got Desmond Bain, and you got Jaron Jackson Jr., okay? All of them are averaging 16 points per game at least, okay? Now, in the immediate future, Dylan Brooks hurt his ankle. He's out for three to five weeks. That's going to hurt him. That might hurt him right there. But look at what everyone else is doing. Obviously, I said Morant, MVP candidate, but you got Jaron Jackson Jr. in the top five for blocks. You got Desmond Bain, in the top 10 in three-point percentage, okay? They've got the formula that can help them succeed, not only this year, but for years to come, because they are all young. You got Morant, who's only in his third year. You got Brooks, still with a short career. Jackson has been around for maybe four or five, and Desmond Bain has been around for about three, I would guess. This is a great core four to have, and maybe, maybe the best core four that this league has, maybe. Maybe, but it's not just those core four that are helping them succeed. Okay. I am a big fan of Steven Adams and I have been a big fan of him for a very long time from the Oklahoma city days all the way till now. Okay. Steven Adams is a center that everyone would want on their roster, whether he's starting or if he's just riding on the bench, he's a locker room guy that you want. He brings toughness. He's got physicality. I mean, he's one of the top, players in terms of rebounds right now and rebounds per game. So Steven Adams is a guy who's probably going to be that X factor for how far uh, Memphis can go. How far Memphis can go is uh, outside of those four best players. You got a guy like Adams down low protecting the paint, but then you've got a a pretty solid bench that I would add. Okay. Brandon Clark, DeAnthony Melton, Kyle Anderson, Tyus Jones, they're, Memphis has got a great team structure right now. And this was a team that they made the play in last year. They uh, won the play in. They won the play in, I should say. They beat Golden State and they got to uh, make themselves in the playoffs. And I said, this is a young team to watch out for in the future. Well, the future is now. The future is the Memphis Grizzlies. And I think maybe not this year, if, if they can't hold on to their spot this year, They're going to be a top team. They're at least going to be top three next year. And then the year after that, the year after that. That's what I think if they can hold on to most of these guys. So the overall arching question, is Memphis a team to take seriously? My answer is yes. Absolutely yes. Because let's face it, John Morant is basically this day, the modern day Allen Iverson. The way he can score, he can handle the ball, finish at the rim. And not only that, but have some great defensive plays, as I mentioned. Just He's like a super athlete with some of the defensive plays that he makes. And then you've got great pieces all behind him. And you got to remember that this Memphis team was winning even without Moran. And, you know, Moran had that injury. Memphis was still winning. When he came back, you know, there were questions about, you know, 
can Morant fit in this team? Well, they made him fit and now they are rolling. So I could see them staying where they, where they are, you know, top four, top five, at least if they can continue this pace, because they've not only are they great, but they've beaten some great teams like the Nets and the Warriors on this 10 game winning streak. So do I think Memphis, are they a championship contender? Probably not. But for this year, I think they're a team to take seriously and they will be a team to take seriously for years to come. As long as John Morant continues to be the next big thing in the NBA, but it's great that there's a second half of the NBA season as well, because John Morant and the Grizzlies are hot now, but what happens when we hit April, May, and June when the playoffs get underway? time once again to look at our Boston teams and see what's going on with them. It's our Let's Get Local segment of the week. And before we really dive into it, I want to give a salute to John Lester, who officially retired Wednesday at age 38 after 16 years in the MLB. Now, of course, everyone in this area knows him for his two World Series wins with the Red Sox in 2007 and as the team's ace in 2013. But aside from that, He had another ring with the Cubs, helped them break that 108-year streak. He's got 200 career wins, a 2-5-1 postseason ERA. You know, questions come about, you know, is he a Hall of Famer? Is he a Hall of Famer? And I sort of compare it to another longtime Boston athlete who recently retired, and that's Julian Edelman. Is, you know, were the regular season numbers historic? No. But when it came time to the playoffs, that is the guy that you could rely on. The numbers are incredible. I mean, look at his ERA in the World Series. I think I was reading it was like a 1-6 something, you know, something like that. It was it was a one point something. And the fact that he's doing that in the World Series, including the clinching game in 2007, I mean, that's a strong comparison. So I think he's kind of a borderline Hall of Famer to me. But for a personal standpoint, I'll never forget his early years, you know, being drafted by the Sox, He And then he got diagnosed with cancer in 2006, came back in 2007 in time for that postseason run. And then the most vivid memory I have is the no-hitter against the Kansas City Royals in 2008. Now, I remember this vividly because in our elementary school, there was always a Red Sox night where uh, they would... Uh, the school would buy uh, tickets for a Red Sox game for for two nights. You know, you could purchase them for one night and purchase them for the other. Well, the two nights were two games against uh, the Royals at Fenway Park. And I remember uh, the day after, you know, because I was slated to go to the game after the no-hitter. So I was just really upset. I was like, oh, I missed a no-hitter by that much, by one day. You know, I went to the game the day after and I thought, just imagine if, you know, I got to go to a no-hitter. It was insane. I got to talk to a few of my friends. They were like, it was surreal. It was so cool. And that's just a memory that sticks out to my mind, was missing John Lester's no-hitter by one day. So I salute John Lester on an incredible career in the MLB. And I know from a personal standpoint, I will be rooting for him to make his way into Cooperstown. But, of course, that's what's happened then. Let's talk about now, and the now 
is about the Patriots entering the postseason as the number six seed, but they do not look like a playoff team right now. Okay. Losing to Miami again, 33 to 24, setting up a third meeting with Buffalo, just like the Arizona LA series. This is the tiebreaker as both road teams won the game. But before we get into a preview of that game with Buffalo, let's talk about that game in Miami. Cause let's face it. The defense stunk. Absolutely stunk, especially the run, okay? This Miami offense isn't, you know, the Peyton Manning Broncos or the Peyton Manning Colts or the Aaron Rodgers Packers. Tua Tugavailoa passed for 109 yards, okay? You know how many rush yards they allowed? A buck 95. Yeah, 195 rush yards were allowed by this defense. That is, you can't do that. You cannot do that. This is the team that we saw in the beginning of the year when they started one and three. You know, I understand they were playing some really good teams, but you can't do that. You know, I know Miami's a good offense, but they're not elite level. You got to at least hold them down. Okay. Because now the offense looked okay. Okay. Mac Jones and the offense looked okay. I understand the pick six wasn't really that helpful. But the problem is they just fall behind way too early, okay? They were down 17-0 before halftime, and they got it to three at one point in the fourth quarter. But then, sure enough, the defense can't hold it on. It's it's insane. It's insane. This team does not look like a playoff team. They absolutely do not. And who knows if they can turn it around? Because this team, I think, is momentum-heavy. They are momentum-heavy where when they were winning, you know, six straight, the team was riding high and they could do no wrong. Then when they played a really good team or what we thought was a really good team in Indianapolis, then they played uh, Buffalo. You know, they had a nice win against Jacksonville, but everyone beats Jacksonville except for Indy. And then the Miami game, you've lost three out of four entering the postseason. You don't think that's setting into the Patriots mind. Okay. This is where Bill Belichick and that coaching staff has to look at these guys and say, it's a whole new year. Okay. Forget what's happened. In the past, it's a whole new year. The, the uh, record is zero and zero. The other team zero and zero. Let's start our season right now. But I think the big key for this Saturday to take on the Bills in Buffalo is not falling behind early. Okay. Look at their last three losses, as I mentioned. They were down 20 to nothing, 20 to seven, and 17 to nothing at one point in those last three losses. What did Mac Jones and that offense do? They got them out of a hole and made it close. But the problem is the defense just did not lock them down, okay? They have to defend better. And honestly, I don't think there's a ton of hope, but if they can make it competitive, it's got to be because they defend better. And the secondary is going to be challenged again if Jalen Mills doesn't clear protocols in time. Because really, outside of J.C. Jackson, you know, do you expect Miles Bryant to cover Isaiah McKenzie, Cole Beasley, Manuel Sanders, you know, I trust the safeties to at least, you know, have an effect, you know, whether that be Phillips, Duggar, or McCourty. But in terms of corners, I don't know if I can trust them. And I don't know if I can trust the defensive line because we've seen Lawrence Guy and Matt Judon, you know, be absolutely run over by this run game. You know, any run game, to be completely honest. So I'm looking at the defensive line and more so Matt Judon to impact the game like they used to before. You know, get a couple sacks in there. You know, let's see Dietrich Wise get into the backfield. Let's see Judon get there. You know, even get a Lawrence guy. 
at one point to help out. But that defense is where I, I see the difference right now. And I think on the offensive side of the field, Mac Jones is going to have to take some chances that he hasn't so far this year. You know, we've seen a couple of deep balls, but more so we've seen a lot of short passes and we've seen guys like Bourne and Henry and Jacoby Myers make plays after the catch. I don't think that can happen. I think he's going to have to take some chances. You know, you can't play conservative when it comes to the playoffs. You have to take some unnecessary or not unnecessary, but you have to take some uncomfortable chances, you know, whether that be scrambling for a couple of yards and going for more deep balls than you originally thought, because this Buffalo defense is good. They are really good, even though they don't have their top corner, Tredavious White. You know, they are good. So I think Mac Jones is going to have to win the game. He's going to have to win the game. He can't rely on Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson to help him out with the run game. Okay, it's time for Mac Jones to get out of his rookie boots And let's just see what he can do. We'll see what he can do. But I will say that even if they lose, even if they lose this game in Buffalo on Saturday, I would call the season a success. Because let's be honest, everyone thought, regardless of if it it was going to be Mac Jones or Cam Newton, that 10 or 11 wins was probably what was going to be expected. Okay? That 10 win and then maybe contending for a playoff spot. Sure enough, they get into the playoffs. And Mac Jones has performed better than people thought that the rookie would do. I mean, to me, he's the second best rookie in the NFL, right behind Jamar Chase. And I think he's only going to get better and more comfortable, you know, as the years go on. You know, if they make the playoffs again, they're going to be a big factor, a big factor because Jones is going to have the experience. I mean, to get the experience early on as a rookie is huge for Mac Jones. But we'll have to see what happens on Saturday night. But meanwhile, with the Patriots struggling, someone's got to be hot in the city of Boston, and it's the Bruins. Let me tell you about those Boston Bruins. They are on fire, absolute fire right now. I mean, look at the schedule. They've won six of the last seven, three straight wins. You know, this is all after the pause, okay? And they've beaten teams like the Lightning 5-2, to two, the Capitals 7-3. to three. I mean, what a turnaround it's been. And all it took was a little shifting of the first and second line, okay? Now you got David Posternock playing alongside Howla and Hall. And look at what has happened. You got Brad Marchand getting a hat trick in two periods and saving a little pink cowboy hat for himself. And, I mean, you take out the game against the Wild, against Minnesota, where they lost 3-2, to two, and they've scored four or more goals in every game so far this year. Every game in 2022. That's a great stretch for Boston. This is an off. That's not what we were expecting for the Bruins. Not at all. Okay. The way they struggled at the beginning part of the year, I understand they had a COVID outbreak at one point, but the fact that they've turned it around so well, and this offense just looks unstoppable, unstoppable. I mean, just look at, you know, you can't point to one person being, you know, better than everyone else and driving it. It's been everybody. It's been Charlie Coyle, Curtis Lazar at the center spot, okay? As I said, you got Hall and Howla, and Bergeron looks re-energized. Brad Marchand's going nuts. And then on the defensive side, Carlo, McAvoy, Grizzlick, Riley, they're all getting ice time, and they're making the best of it. You know, I am very excited to see this turnaround for the Boston Bruins. Now, Can it be carried on? I don't think so. But I think what does help 
is Tuka Rask, okay? I know he's going to be back tonight. You know, he's going to make his first start in months after signing with the Bruins because remember we said last week that he was going to play some games with uh, Providence in the AHL, but then they had uh, some games postponed. I think it was because of the uh, snowstorm, uh, either that or some kind of COVID outbreak. But forget the rehab. He's going right in, right in with the Bruins. Now, I think it's going to take a couple of games for him to really get his legs under him. But again, how is that? How is the locker room, you know, going to perceive it? Because, you know, Omar and Swayman were great. You know, as I said last week, they weren't the reasons that the Bruins were struggling. And now you get a guy like Tuka Rask to throw in there. Is he going to throw a wrench into that thing? Now, people can get hyped, but you got to remember, Outside from a few years, Tuca hasn't really done anything in the postseason for this Boston team recently. So, you know, how effective is Tuca Rask going to be is going to be my question. We're, we're going to see the first hand of it tonight when they take on uh, Philadelphia. But all I know is if you're a Bruins fan, get excited because this team looks great. They look great. A team that is kind of looking great, I would say, though, are the Celtics. And even though they've had some good games recently, you got many thinking about the trade deadline because, I mean, they've won four straight games. You got to remember that. And they had a good showing last night, but it was against Indiana. And Indiana is not the best team in the world. And you also got to remember the last, the last game that they played against Indiana, that home and home went to overtime. You know, why are you going to overtime with a team like the Indiana Pacers? So that, that's just a story within itself, but let's, the here and now is that they've won three straight, and I, it, it's hard to say like if they've turned around because, again, they're healthy, and they're trying to find a formula that works. But last Thursday, they blew another lead and lost at the buzzer. I should say not another lead, a big lead, a 20-plus point lead to New York, and then they lost at the buzzer with R.J. Barrett with a great shot. I don't necessarily call that like an unlucky bounce. I mean, the blown lead shouldn't have even happened in the first place. That's it shouldn't have happened in the first place. And that buzzer bee shouldn't even have been a, a thought because let's face it. The fourth quarter is where they suck the most. Okay. All they have to do is fix the problems that they have in the fourth quarter. And this team can be something even last night, you know, in that second half, you know, heading into the fourth quarter, Indiana got it to single digits at one point when the lead was at maybe like 17 or something like that. I don't know. It's nice that they've won three straight and sort of rebounded to get to that 500 mark now at 21 and 21, but still, I don't know if, you know, you'd say, Oh, everything's fixed now. You know, now they're going to start rolling because I ultimately don't see that. And I think they're probably going to have to make some big changes if they want to have, you know, a realistic shot, at least this year, because we already know. Tatum, Brown, Smart, Rob Williams, I don't think they're going anywhere. But we know that Brad Stevens is going to explore some options with Dennis Schroeder on an expiring contract, maybe Ennis Freedom or Romeo Langford. just seeing what's out there. Because let's be honest, it's just trying to find the pieces that complement Tatum and Brown the best. And they've got pieces like that. They've got Rob Williams, who's playing out of his mind and probably playing the best basketball of his career. And then you got Marcus Smart, who knows how to be a facilitator at least. And then Al Horford is the veteran presence, but you might have to throw him in a deal with all these other guys. But I'm going to be really interested to see what the Celtics do, you know, heading into the trade deadline. 
Because are they going to blow things up or are they just going to ride out the season and say, you know what, let's just go with what we got. Let's wait until free agency in 2022. That's going to be what I'm watching for, for the Celtics team. But, you know, we do hit the month of January. It gets very cold in the city of Boston, but the action is definitely going to be heating up. to end our show as we always do we look at our lol moment of the week and this one involves a superstar in the nba really wanting any kind of edge that he wants so without any further ado this week's lol moment of the week goes to devin booker the superstar for the phoenix suns now let me tell you about the drastic measures that devin booker went to while he was at the free throw line. Okay. Let's set the stage that we're in Toronto. It's a one point game between the Suns and the Raptors. And just keep in mind, Ontario is having a COVID outbreak. So no fans are allowed uh, at Raptors games or I think any, any games in general. So no fans are allowed except one. And that's the Toronto Raptors mascot. And what is he doing? He's trying to distract Devin Booker. But Devin Booker sees this and says, wait, what, what is that? I don't want to be distracted. Move him. And what does the ref do? He actually moves him to the corner, and the Raptors just sitting on the corner on one knee, just looking, saying, like, he's kind of, you can't see facial expressions in a mascot, but you could just see the body language saying, like, what the heck? What is he doing? Because we've never seen this before. We've never seen a player Talk about a mascot being distracting, okay? Devin Booker isn't distracted when 20,000 people are screaming, yelling, and distracting and all that. But the fact that Devin Booker went so far to get to the referee and saying, hey, I don't want to be distracted by him, okay? Toronto doesn't have any kind of home court advantage, okay? It's almost like you're playing in your local gym, okay? Toronto needs some kind of edge, okay? Phoenix has a full, uh, full arena. When the Raptors go to visit them, but I just, I'm laughing at the same time. I'm in disbelief too. I mean, let's be honest. Devin Booker is a little bit of a hothead. We've seen uh, in Pat in the past, you know, at least in the beginning of his career, you know, getting into scuffles and stuff like that. But the fact that he had to go all the way to move a mascot. So he doesn't get distracted. Okay. All he sees is it hitting the front rim and it bounces in but he doesn't like it. So then the next one, when the Raptor does move, is the exact same thing. It hits the front rim and goes back. So I don't really see the problem that Booker had. He still made it. He still made the free throw, okay? And give Toronto a break, okay? Toronto stinks, and they've stunk since they won the NBA championship a few years ago, all right? So give them a break, Devin Booker. But I think what's the most funny is that if you look on the uh, Raptors' Uh, Twitter page you know the mascot has his own Twitter account and he's got a brand new profile pic and it's him with the arms up distracting Devin Booker so I mean they did say in the press conference or at least Booker said you know we we uh, let things go we we moved on and we you know came to an agreement or whatever but 
if I'm like anyone who works as a mascot saying like, what the heck is that? You know, I'm going to start doing that more and more. Like if I was, if I was a mascot, I'm going to start doing that more and more. I don't care if it's a full arena or not. I'm just going to stand in the back, do exactly what the Raptor mascot did just to get under the player's skin, because that's what you kind of do. Not only for, as a mascot, not only do you get, you know, fans involved, but you try and get into the player's heads and you just have fun with it. So I don't blame the Raptor for doing what he did, but the fact that Devin Booker stepped away from the line, went to the ref and said, hey, he's distracting me. I don't like when he does that while I'm shooting. Okay. How many people, when it's a full arena, does the exact same thing? You see fans, you know, waving sticks or waving their hands or yelling at them. They don't say anything about that. But if it's one mascot, one little person who does that thing, it gets Devin Booker very mad and it gets him very upset. So Mr. Booker, you may be one of the best players in the NBA right now. Your son's team is rolling right now. But the fact that you go out of your way to move a mascot while you're shooting the free throw has landed yourself into this week's LOL moment of the week. So that does it for this edition of Let Me Speak. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in wherever you're getting your podcast. Make sure, as always, you follow our social media pages on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. All you got to do is search Let Me Speak Podcast. And remember, as always, if you got a point you got to get across, just let the whole world know. Shut up and let me speak.